If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them. Turn with me to the book of Romans as we continue on in our series. The time for truth is now. There's just like no smooth, easy transition from Pez world to Romans world. But we're going to do the very best that we can. Welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church. Those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you as well. Thank you, Rosie Powell family, for your story, your testimony of God's faithfulness, first and foremost, which is very clear, but also the blessing of church family. And so that's, that's why we gather. Every single one of us here have a story. And that story is not complete apart from one another pouring into each other's lives. Thank you for that testimony. We have, um, we have a momentous task before us. I think this is uh, three or four weeks just in Romans chapter 11. And I've decided a little, little altar plans. We're going to finish it up today as Romans 11 has been heavy. And we're going to focus on Advent uh, from here on out as we look forward to celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you just a little bit. I, I, unless you're, you're new here, um, you, you would not know. I, I preach what is referred to as expositionally. So I, I preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in a sense, word by word through this book. And so we've been studying the book of Romans now. I think we actually began somewhere around January of this year, took a little break for the summer, and we're continuing on. And we know that there is some heavy things in Scripture. Some things that, that if you're reading on your own, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. That's why this time is so important for us. We sit under the preaching of the Word of God. This is a moment that I am, in all honesty, terrified. Every single Sunday, I go into this at some levels, literally shaking, like, Lord, help me with this moment because this is how the holy spirit speaks to us all and so when we come upon texts that are like hmm an olive tree what are we talking about that's why we need the holy spirit to guide us every single step of the way as we've been looking at some heavy doctrine heavy theology we talk about the fact if romans chapter 9 and 10 where we talked about election and predestination if they're hard to understand hard to accept romans chapter 11 is just hard and so that's why we need the lord's help i would ask that you would bow your heads with me and pray that we would hear a word from the lord together let's pray <clears throat> father we love you and we thank you for this moment that you've given to us Lord, your word is perfect. It offers everything that we need on how to live life. Your spirit is present here as we've set apart and gathered together your own children in your house on your day to hear a word from you. And please, Lord, help me as I strive to communicate with clarity. Father, I, I thank you already for the message of the cross that we have sung about and we celebrate. 
We thank you, Lord, for the stories, the testimonies that are represented in this very room right now and for your faithfulness to us. Pray as well, Lord, right now for those that are feeling a sense of heaviness and weight, a burden pressing upon them. It says that we can cast our burdens and our worries and our cares before you, for you care for us. I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to hearts and comfort. Lord, also convict where it is needed. First and foremost, we ask, I ask that you would be glorified in this time. Father, we pray for help, just clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything be for you and for you alone. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we have spent the last several weeks talking in Romans chapter 11, considerable time on future. So it's a, a subset of systematic theology called eschatology. What's going to happen in the future? And we're dealing specifically with Israel's future. Now, when I refer to Israel, a little bit of a reminder, I'm not just referring to a little sliver of land on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, size of New Jersey, population of Indiana. What I'm referring to when I refer to Israel is 0.2% of the entire world's population, of all the Jewish people that are scattered throughout the world. Concentration of them certainly in the nation of Israel. But there's a future for Israel. This is a, a, a people, a people group that has faced unprecedented hardship and adversity, yet at some level, you've got to ask the question, they are so blessed. How is it that they have survived and they literally are, are some of the most influential and successful people on the face of the globe? How does that happen unless God's hand of blessing has been upon them? And we also know that they have what? By and large, Jewish people have rejected the Messiah. They do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Redeemer. In a sense, they're focusing still on law and works, still sadly looking for it. They don't celebrate Christmas, the arrival of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the way that we do. Now, although Jewish people have rejected the Messiah, we know that God has not rejected the Jewish people. Last week in verse 11, we saw this, what? They have stumbled, but they have not fallen. In a sense, we could talk about the fact that Israel's rejection is not total. Israel's rejection is not final. And thankfully, only as God can do, he loves to take beauty from ashes. There's a testimony that we heard today. That's what God does. And as a result of what? A, a, a certain people group that in a sense the promise was given to genesis chapter 15 you're going to have what descendants that number the the number of the stars how does that promise how is that promise fulfilled today by the jewish people rejecting the gospel in a sense what the gospel goes global it's opened up to the gentiles the 99.8 percent rest of the population. And we know that millions upon millions upon millions of people have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote last week, as a result of that, there should be, in a sense, we talked about this term, this gospel jealousy, that we're to live a life as followers of Jesus, one who have accepted the Messiah, with such love and joy and peace that people look at us 
and say, I want what they have. Is your life lived in such a way that people long to, to be like you because you follow Jesus? You have surrendered to Jesus. You submit to Jesus. Do you draw people towards you as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a sense, a very real word of gospel jealousy that exists here. Now we look, as we continue on, the extent of this salvation. As a result of Gentiles who trust in Jesus, we realize that we're not just like a tack on to the promise. We're actually part of the promise given. And so what he does is he uses an illustration that in first century Middle Eastern world, I think it would be very easily understood. Today, unless you're like a botany major in science, you probably would not get it. Pick it up with me. Our, our verses begin, Romans chapter 11. We'll read it in sections because there's so much. Pick it up in verse 16. We'll read down through verse 20. The word of the Lord. If the, dough, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They are broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. You understand why when we hear the word of the Lord or read the word of the Lord, we're like, hmm, I think we need some explanation on that. The number one point we get from this is what? The Gentiles, that's you and I, 98, 99.8% of the world's population, are grafted into the promise. It says branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. They're broken off because of their unbelief. You... You sitting here this morning under the preaching of the word of God, stand fast through faith. If you were to enter what is referred to as the Jaffa Gate, the western side of the old city of Jerusalem, you're to walk about one to two minutes, really short walk, and you turn the first right you can take onto Arminian Patriarchate Street. You would immediately see on the left-hand side, Christ Church. It is the oldest Protestant church in the old city of Jerusalem. Beautiful. If you were to walk in the front doors that lead literally down the aisle, there's the pulpit, and behind the pulpit, there's three stained glass windows. Either side... Stained glass windows are identical, and it's a picture I want to show you. It's a picture of this olive tree. If you can notice, there's some Hebrew, which is interesting. It's a Protestant church. It's not a Hebrew church, but it's in Jerusalem. There's Hebrew written underneath it, and it's actually a quote that we'll read in just from a moment from Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. 
Hebrew, you read right to left, just in case you need a reminder of that. It says this, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just pause for a moment, think about it. This is a Protestant church that recognizes how we as Gentiles have become grafted in as part of the tree that represents the people of God. Some branches are broken off, other ones are grafted in. By way of simple explanation, the root represents the patriarch promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers. The natural branches represent ethnic Israel, and you and I are what is referred to as the wild olive shoot. That's the Gentiles. We've been so blessed by this. On January the 1st, 2018, my son and daughter-in-law were married underneath, underneath this window. I think there's a picture just briefly. You can see the olive tree up to the left. Now, this is important because you're in what? You're in the holiest spot of one of the holiest cities in Judaism. And yet, in the midst of that, there is cause and reason for you and I to celebrate as Gentiles that have been grafted in. Now, the olive tree, this picture represents what good news. Good news for you and I. There's multiple references throughout scriptures of the olive tree branch of the olive tree. Genesis chapter 8, remember Noah's ark with the dove that came back? Remember that? Oh. Go to the very last book, the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And there's this, what? It's a picture of two witnesses. They're the olive branch. Olive tree. The olive tree is a symbol of beauty and abundance, the fruitfulness and ability to thrive. Suggests it's a model of righteousness we see from Psalm 52 and Hosea 14. Olive oil was used in the anointing and coronation of kings. It makes it an emblem of sovereignty. And it has been for millennia a picture of God's chosen people, the children of promise. And now at some level, you and I are grafted into this picture. If you recall last week, we talked about this idea of interlocking destinies. And hold with me on this. Don't fall asleep on this. To help us understand this, this is the language that Paul uses that comes from our botany class. Our science of what? Studying plants. And the main idea basically is this. This comes from the science book. The qualities associated with an item's germinal state extend to its germane parts. What does that mean? It means this. Apples come from apple trees. Peaches come from peach trees. Olives come from olive trees. That's what it means. So what? Although Israel, the branches, have been broken off because of unbelief, the wild olive shoot, Gentiles, you and I, have been grafted in, which means what? This is what we celebrate. There's no longer just Jewish olives. And there's no longer what? Gentile olives. Which means what? There's just olives. Good news. Doesn't Paul write in Galatians chapter 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. Why? Because we are all one in Christ. Now this is significant. This is important because why? Because it's easy for you and I to think, oh, we are special. 
which I know that grandma pinched your cheek and said, oh, you are so, you don't let it go to your head. We live in a world at some level that we want to thrust ourselves up to the top so we can look down at other people, certainly what the Jewish people were doing. And what happens with Christians today? What is one of the biggest criticisms that is labeled against the church? Against what gathers and what happens here? They think they are just so special. Oh, they're, they're just so holy. And we, we measure ourselves. This is a reminder that, wait a minute, we are all one in Christ. There should not be a smugness, particularly towards what? Particularly towards unbelieving people, and in this context, particularly between unbelieving Jews. We need to be careful. That's why we're warned what? Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not, it says in verse 20, become proud. Rather, what we have to have I think this was heard in the testimony of Yuri and Michelle earlier. There has to be a love. And, and for, forgive me, but there's not, a, not a, a lot of natural love that just exudes from me in my flesh. And I don't think I'm the only one. I, I think the way that we produce love is when we submit and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. We, we have to have a love for the lost, as opposed to, yeah, you're, you're going to hell. A, a brokenheartedness when it comes to our evangelism. We, we realize that what? I've, I've found the Messiah. I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could atone for the wretchedness and brokenness of my own sin. I found the Messiah. Rather than ever dare looking down, pleading and praying in love, will you please trust him? Will you trust him? Because it reveals, in a sense, what? Our submission to obedience, what I call a healthy fear of God. Why is this important? Why should we fear? Why should we have a reverential awe of God? We continue on. We see what, as we continue on, the goodness and the severity of God. Pick it up in verse 21 of Romans chapter 11. Just two verses we'll read right here. Romans chapter 11, verse 20. For if, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is a part of the gospel that we try to just kind of skirt around. Let's just not go here because this doesn't sell well. Behold, it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, the goodness and the severity of God. This is where I prefer I lean towards the older King James Version rather than we just read in the ESV. What? Know this. I love behold. The goodness and the severity of God. Arguably one of the sternest warnings in the New Testament about continuing on in your faith, revealing why Gentiles should fear the Lord. 
since God has grafted the Gentiles in, we should appreciate the kindness and the grace of God. Let me just repeat that. Because we have been grafted in, we should be ever grateful and appreciate the kindness and the grace of God. Stop right here. Our bellies are still full from the feast that we all had on Thursday. We had leftovers again. Like, like for the 27th time, we had leftovers again yesterday. So we have this moment where we gather together and we feast. And I would hope, I don't know, like I don't know what's peering into your, your table time, but I would hope at some level before you gorged yourself, you gave some attention to, hey, why don't we stop and give thanks because it's Thanksgiving? And so what usually happens is this. Well, what, what do we have to be thankful for? Number one, this is what, I'm just, I'm just thankful for everyone around this table. Like, can you come up with something new? Like, that's wonderful. Family is a blessing. They are a gift, no doubt about it. So we're thankful for the family, and we're thankful for the food, and we're thankful for the football, and it kind of, kind of peters out after that. We think for a moment, and we're, we're thankful for the health that we have to be able to sit here like this, and the strength and the means to eat, and, and the money that God has provided for us. Fresh on our minds, that moment that you just had around the Thanksgiving table. May, may I ask you a question? And you'll know the answer, and those that sat around your table will know this answer. Was the grace of God, was the kindness of God on your list of what you stopped and gave thanks for? Was God mentioned? God's grace, God's unmerited favor upon your life. The, the very fact that you and I deserve wrath, yet we are able to gather together in the freedoms. Yeah, but it's not fair out there. Well, no, no. God is still good. Remember, no yeah buts. Remember last week? The very fact that we were able to gather like that, knowing what? As our bellies are filled our souls have been forgiven thus the importance thus the significance that we hold tight to the latter part of verse 22 of romans chapter 11 behold know this the goodness and the severity of god that's god's goodness and oh oh this certainly sounds better than the other part we're actually at some level to praise God for his severity, his justice. In, in Greek, it's the word apotomia. It means harshness or sternness. And at, at some level, when we think about God, who loves all and gives life to all and provides all with gravy and stuffing, at some level, we stop right before the severity of God. That there, there can be no good news in this world unless what? Unless bad news is a real thing. Often neglected is what? The simple doctrine 
of hell that Jesus himself speaks often of. Branches cut off and are burned because they are not producing any fruit. Behold, this, behold the severity of God. Eternal separation. Yeah, but this is, like the football game was great. And the gravy was amazing. We had a touch of curry in our gravy. No, 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 we can't just, we have to examine, behold, the severity of God. The idea that we are eternally separated apart from. And that what? We live in a country and we live in a world. We live, what, in a globe surrounded by millions upon millions upon millions of people who do not know and have rejected the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just um, was in a teaching setting, and you'll hear this later on, but I, I read of the, the, the description of young people in college today. When they were asked the question, how would you describe your faith? Or, or what, what religion do you practice? The number one response for young people today was, A, nothing. I, I, I believe nothing, and, and I, I believe there's no God. There's, they're, they're in the category of, of a nun. Or else the second response is this, I don't care. The number one response of college-age young people today when asked about, so tell me about your faith. I don't care. That's the world that you and I are called to live in. That's the world that, what, an overwhelming majority of people will be cut off apart from the good news of Jesus Christ that is offered. I don't think this means about a loss of salvation. I believe in eternal security, perseverance of the saints when it's cut off, but... but we can't be presumptuous and arrogant, but continue faithfully in our faithfulness. Persevering faith balances both thanks to God and a reverential fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 9. It's important to note as well as we continue on here, there's this idea, and I know that this is the, the, the push in Romans chapter 11. Pick it up in verse 25 with me. Romans chapter 11, 25 through verse 29. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. If this is not enough of a mystery, Paul then says, get ready for this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Spend any time around Jewish people today and you'll realize there's a hardening that has taken place. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God, there's that verse, are irrevocable. Now, if you think for a moment, wait a minute, isn't this a little contradiction? Is what people have to kick at? It says all Israel will be saved in verse 26, but earlier, if you remember, it says that a remnant will be saved. Which is it? 
I don't think it's a contradiction. Rather, I think it speaks of all future ethnic Israel who will be counted among the remnant are saved. Now, there's a mystery that is a portion of this. So profound, there's a revival that is coming amongst this people group that is so significant that we totally do not understand it. And it says at some level... After, at a latter part of every single one of the Jews who are counted with the elect, a great number of Jews will believe in the Messiah. A revival, perhaps second to none, will take place, which leads us to the latter part of this. And this is the doxology that leads, the theology that leads to doxology. Romans chapter 11 33 through 36. The Lord is worthy of all of our praise. Now, now just think about this. For, as a result of this amazing truth, the Apostle Paul has been writing about. Literally millions upon millions upon millions of Gentiles are grafted in, adopted in, ushered into the family of God, as well as a revival that is so significant, it is a mystery that we cannot fully behold uh, as a result of both groups Coming to know the Lord, he erupts into a doxology of praise with thanks and blessing that is directed to God and God alone. The latter part, pick it up in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It is a song of praise that erupts at some level, may sound a little familiar. It comes from the Spirit of God through the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Job, to what Paul quotes here. And it's a worthy reminder, what? That is dearly and desperately needed for you and I, that the world needs to hear on a regular basis. And this is the truth. No human being can understand the mind of God. No human being is able to give counsel to God. So just, just pause on that for a moment. You, you and I, we don't, we don't go real far in life before we recognize and realize the fact that we need some guidance. We need some counsel. Testimony was given of that. Some of the big decisions before what? Before I sit down with a young couple to be married, they will go through weeks of premarital counseling. We know that what? When you're in high school, you're going to need a guidance counselor to kind of guide you through. Like, what, what, what do I want to do with my life? You get to university and there's an academic advisor. This is what you take. This is what you don't take. Set up your schedule. Like, every, everything that we do in life, we need counsel for. Doc, yeah, something, something's like hurting right here. I need, I need some guidance here. And he tells you what's wrong. And like, I'm, I'm just going to get some more counsel on that. I'm going to get a second opinion on that. Everything that we do, 
buy a house, financial counselor, financial or legal guidance, make an investment with counsel. You buy a car today, you go on a vacation, you buy a toy, a truck, a TV. What are you going to do? You're going to read views on that. Like, I don't know. That guy didn't like it. Everything that we do in life, we seek counsel, which at some level is good because we don't know everything. As a matter of fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 11, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. But in this section, very specifically, it talks about the fact that what God is one, we pray to one who needs no counsel. It's hard to even fathom for a moment. Because I, I, what? I know some pretty smart people. Like, guys like me have to find smart friends. And so we, I hold close to them. And, and I have sought counsel in multiple areas, not just in doctrine and theology, but I have met gifted MDs, gifted PhDs. And as I've talked with them, like, wow, you're like, can I stand close to you? Like, you're like really smart. Every single one of them will what? They will admit at some level, well, my, my field is neuroscience. My field is cardiovascular, so, so I'm outside of my field. I really don't know. We talk to PhDs where what? I, yeah, my, my, my expertise is quantum physics. That's outside of quantum, so I don't know. Regardless of how intelligent and bright and brilliant, regardless of the IQ, every single intelligent person will come up with one response towards some question that they'll say what? I don't know. Except God. He knows everything. He knows what's racing through your mind right now. When's this guy going to wrap up? He knows the word that, that you muttered under your breath yesterday, the day before. He knows the, the movie you watched he knows the thought that you paused on in your heart. He knows the, the jealousy that, that wells up inside of you. Why can't my life look like the one that I was just looking at on that, on that, on that blog, on that post? Why, why does my life stink? Every thought God knows. And rather than in a sense, being terrified of that, we are to lean into that and give thanks that we worship a God who needs no counsel. Matthew Henry writes this, he resolves all into the sovereignty of God. Listen to this phrase, for of him and through him and to him are all things. That means God is all in all. These three, include in general, all God's causal relations to his creatures of him as the first efficient cause, through him as the supreme directing cause, to him as the ultimate final cause, for the Lord hath made all things for himself, it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. So just pause on this. This means that what? If all of it be of him and through him, there is... All the reason in the world that all should be to him and for him. Which is referred to as a necessary circulation. I know that you're working on this. Pause on this for a moment. If the rivers 
received the waters from the sea, they returned to the sea again. There's a circle. To do all for the glory of God is an absolute necessity of our life. And we consider this in the season of giving thanks. I think it's so neat that Paul concludes with this short doxology that we have to keep on our minds, in our hearts, and erupting and flowing from our lips. To whom be glory forever. Amen. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul writes later, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you do it all for the glory of God. So how do, how do, we, how do we wrap this up? We glorify God in acknowledgement of the fact that we simply receive something that we do not deserve. We glorify God in the fact that we are to evangelize with a hope that is given to us that others not only don't have, but others long to have. We glorify God in our evangelism. We glorify God, what? In our own sense of humility. I don't deserve what God has given to me. I don't look down on anyone. And that draws us closer together. We're in this thing together. The body gathered. We glorify God in our unity and we live humbly with thanksgiving and fear of God. And lastly, we glorify God in our worship. Don't, don't, don't race through this moment. Don't fuss and fume on a slushy, wet, cold, snowy day as you come together. As we, as we are asked to stand in a moment and lift up our voices in praise and adoration, pause in that moment and realize what we're doing, who we are in the sight of not only the living God, but a loving God. All of that, as we have been grafted in, all of that to offer and share to those who don't know the hope of the gospel. Everything we do, everything that we do, is for His glory and His glory alone. May we be reminded of that this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us. You offer us grace that we don't deserve. Lord, as we get ready to, to exit, as we get ready, Lord, to sing, may we, may we sing with a renewed understanding and thanksgiving in our hearts. Father, may we also pray for those, especially the, the Jewish people who have rejected you. We're thankful that the rejection is not total and the rejection is not final. Father, I pray, Lord, as we long for and look forward to an amazing revival amongst your own, that we would have opportunity to be faithful in praying for them and sharing the good news. Father, we so desperately need your help. We thank you for these moments that we've had together to learn of you. May you continue to be glorified in your name we pray. Amen.